0: Jeremiah 7, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Uh, so the Lord told Jeremiah to go to the gate of the Lord's house. And this is the temple. Now, as we've, we've said before, Jeremiah, it's a little bit difficult to look at chronologically because it, it, it doesn't really follow that kind of pattern. There are certain times where we see it echo different portions. In fact, Jeremiah 7 and 8 are echoed in other portions like um, chapter 19, chapter 26, um, and later on in Jeremiah as well. Um, so, But this is the first time in Jeremiah where it switches from more of a poetic writing style to a prose style, Um, and many people call this the temple sermon. Um, And this was Jeremiah then being told by the Lord to go to this place of worship that was set up, that was uh, rebuilt and kind of re-established, and supposedly had been cleaned and prepared and ready for worship of Yahweh, the God who had saved the children of Israel, brought them out of Egypt. Um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and yet we see that uh, the conditions in the temple and what was going on was far from pleasing to the Lord, Um, and so Jeremiah was called to stand there as the people were coming in and out, and they were doing their religious worship it says uh, that he was to speak to all of them, proclaim them to them this word. Verse three, it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Now here, uh... The people are coming in and out. Jeremiah wasn't preaching just to an empty room. There were people that were coming to this temple, the temple that had the Lord's name in it, the temple, uh, the same temple that that, uh, Solomon had built, uh, the temple that had had the Ark of the Covenant in it, had the Holy of Holies, the ministry of the priests in there, this same temple. And the people were coming in And the Lord was warning the people, saying that you're going through all these outward trappings of religion. You're doing all of these things that look right, and yet your ways and your doings, they need to be amended Uh, That word in the Hebrew is yatab, and it means to do good or to be well-pleasing. It's the opposite of evil is what that word is. And the Lord, in essence, is saying on the outside, you look like you're doing good, but really you're doing evil. And you need to amend your ways. You need to change what you're doing. And and it wasn't just, just their outward actions, but it was their very habit and ways of life. That's what that means. Ways is... Uh, the Hebrew word that speaks of a path worn by constant walking, a course of life, it speaks of habits, moral character, the, the, what informs and influences your decisions. Uh, basically, your, your whole worldview and mindset is what that's speaking of. And Jeremiah, the Lord really is saying, you need to amend your ways. You need to do right in those things. And right now you're not. And not only is just the habits and the moral character and the course of their life, but their deeds as well. They thought that that by going there to the temple that they were doing right. But the Lord says, no, that's not the case. He says, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. And if they wouldn't do that, then they would be cast out. And he tells them, don't trust in these lying words saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Now for them, this was like a chant, a uh, a slogan of, of kind of nationalism for them saying we have the temple here. The temple's here. If the temple's built, the temple's here. The Lord's going to protect it. He's going to protect us. We're, we're good. We've got everything we need here. And they they took what was meant to be a uh, means to point the people to true right worship and a heart attitude of repentance over their sin to the Lord. They took that and said, no, we're protected from everything because the temple's here. And, and, and that they were uh, going in and continuing worship and these rituals in there. But the Lord says that's not the case. Verse five, for if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, so not just in uh, small portions, but he says thoroughly amend, change it completely, full repentance, turn around. If you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless and the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your hurt. Then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. He tells them that that this is what it looks like to thoroughly amend their ways and their doings. They had to thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor to not to not um, consider uh, to to not have injustice in their city to not have false judgments, but to thoroughly execute good and righteous justice between a man and his neighbor to stand up for people who are being oppressed and abused. It says, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless and the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your hurt. So the Lord wanted them to have the outward fruits of an inward heart of repentance and those outward fruits were doing that; were were causing justice to take place between a man and his neighbor. See, they were going and saying, "We have the temple of the Lord," and yet there was injustice all around. People were were being oppressed. People were being uh, uh, abused. They were lying and stealing from one another. They were cheating each other. They they were causing hurt to uh, people who uh, were. Uh, of lesser fortune than they in this, uh, we have the stranger, the fatherless and the widow. The Lord in other places says that true and pure, pure and undefiled religion is to take care of those, to consider those, that the Lord cares about the weak and those who cannot defend themselves. And the children of Judah were abusing them. And, And it was going beyond just the stranger, the fatherless and the widow But they were shedding innocent blood in that place. We'll see that a little bit later. But there was innocent blood of the men, the women, the children that were being shed. But innocent blood all the way down to the infant that was being shed in that place. And we see that that all of this was the fruit of turning away from the Lord, not heeding him, not amending their ways and doings. And and really the root of it is because they had gone after other gods to their own hurt. There was detriment rather than being a place where they were light to the Gentiles, light to the world. And rather than being obedient to the Lord, they were hurting themselves and and those that were uh, uh, not able to take care of themselves in their own place. And because of that, they were in danger. And truly the judgment was coming on them that they were going to be kicked out of that land. They were going to lose that homeland for them. But if they were, were to thoroughly repent and to turn, then the Lord would cause them to dwell in that place. But he says, rather than listening to him, this is what they were doing. Verse 8 says, behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. They were trusting in words that could not profit. And those words were that saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We have the temple. We, we're God's people. We're called by his name. We have, we have his presence here, his glory, his temple, the Ark of the Covenant. We have all of these things here. We're protected. And the Lord says you're trusting in lying words. They're not going to profit you. doesn't matter what the outward trappings of religion look like. It doesn't matter whether you cling to all of these right doctrines in word unless there's deeds to back it up based on a change in your heart. It means nothing. It's trusting in line words that cannot profit. Indeed, the fruit was there. Verse 9 it says, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal and walk after other gods whom you do not know? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered to do all these abominations. They were, they were breaking the commandments of the Lord. Five of the ten commandments are listed here in this chapter. And they were committing all of them. And yet they had the gall to go and then stand before the Lord in his very temple and say, we're delivered to do all these things. We're safe here. We, we have the temple. As long as we come in and do this... Uh, do these sacrifices, do these rituals, then we're good. But that's not what the Lord wanted. In fact, he says that this house, verse 11, which is called by my name, has become a den of thieves in your eyes. Jesus quotes this, right, when he cleanses the temple in the New Testament. You've made my father's house a den of thieves. And what that picture is, is... uh, I think of a, an old Popeye cartoon. You guys remember uh, Popeye? And there's one, um, I think it was Bluto, who was the, uh, the big guy with the black beard and everything. And there was one where it was supposed to be like Alibaba and the 40 Thieves and everything. And remember, he's trying to get into their den where they have all their treasure and everything. And he's Trying to say "open sesame" over and over again, but anyway, a den of thieves. The idea was is that they would go out, they would commit crimes, they would steal, they would they would uh, do all of these wicked, evil things, and then they would come back and treat like as long as they were there and hidden out in the temple of the Lord, nothing could touch them. It was their safe place, but it, in fact, that was where they were standing under the eyes of the Lord in His judgment. They were trying to hide and cover what they had done with being there in the temple, but it it didn't do anything. They had turned the Lord's house into a den of thieves. And that's what the Lord says. Behold, I, even I, have seen it. I see it. The Lord sees. It doesn't matter what we do to try to cover our sin if we're not repenting from it. The Lord sees. The Lord knows. His eyes are on the righteous. His eyes are on the sinful. The Lord sees what we're doing. He knows our hearts. He knows whether we are being genuine or hypocrites. The Lord knows and sees, and we we need to stop and consider our hearts. Uh, we can come in day in, day out. Uh, To the church here or Sundays on Wednesdays, we can be teachers in a Sunday school class. Uh, I sit up here and teach a Bible study. But if there's sin that's unrepentant in my life, then I'm in the wrong place. And the Lord's not pleased in that. We need to truly consider our hearts and listen to the Lord and be obedient to him. It doesn't take just doing these things that the Lord's called us to do. It takes leaving off all of these other sinful things as well. There, there's a complete turning away. There's a repentance and a leaving behind of the old life. It's like what Paul says to reckon ourselves dead to sin. We're made. We've been uh, made new creatures in Christ, and we're called to abandon those things of the old life and to move forward in newness with Him. To walk in repentance, to be open and honest before Him, and to consider. That the Lord is a righteous God who judges sin. He, he, he has grace on us. Praise the Lord, he has grace on us. And he has patience with us. But the Lord is a God of justice. He's righteous. And he does not in any way, shape, or form wink at sin. He cares deeply that we are bearing fruit for him. And wants us to walk with him in honesty and newness of life and to be truly his disciples, being obedient to him. And we need to not uh, be hypocrites. That's what the people of Israel, the people of Judah were doing. They were breaking the commandments of God, they were claiming the Lord's protection over them and blessing upon themselves. Uh, all the while treating the Lord and his house as a den of thieves, trying to hide out. And God says, I see. But the Lord, uh, he has a, a beautiful way of giving people illustrations, and illustrations not just in word, but in history, to see that you can't trust in these physical things or the outward trappings of religion to protect you. And he does that, verse 12, he says, But now go to my place which was in Shiloh. If you guys remember, Shiloh was in the northern part of Israel, um, and it was the place where the tabernacle of the Lord had been, where the Lord first had his his presence there, and the Ark of the Covenant was there. That was Shiloh. It says, Where I set my name at the first. He says, Look there, remember that. See what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel, the northern tribes, the Lord had allowed that place to become overrun and conquered. Um, and the people of Israel, they had been taken in captivity. He says, and now, verse 13, because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called to you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name in which you trust this temple, And to this place which I gave to you and your fathers, Jerusalem, I will do to it as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. The Lord lived up to this promise. When the temple was destroyed, the people of Judah were were killed and taken in captivity and cast out of the land, taken to Babylon. And the Lord gave them that very near historical event as a warning to them. And this is the, the, the beauty of the Lord. Again, you know, we need to always keep in our minds, the Lord does bring all of these judgments, but the Lord, again, He's gracious, He's kind, compassionate, long-suffering, and patient. And that's what He says. He says, I spoke to you. I spoke to you. I told you. I rose up early, speaking to you, but you did not hear. I called to you, but you did not answer. I'm reminded of Samson, the judge uh, in in uh, Israel, right at, after they had conquered the land with Joshua and came in and took possession of the land. Samson, Samson uh, was called to be a Nazarite, which was a a vow that he would take before the Lord from ver- his very birth where he would not touch uh, women or uh, any unclean thing, dead things, or the fruit of the vine. Um, and if he had, would do that, the Lord would use him mightily and, and also to let his hair grow along. You guys know the story of Samson. Well, something, if you're not paying attention, you can kind of miss with Samson is many people, especially like even in Sunday school, you, you ask kids, well, why did Samson lose his strength? And they'll say, oh, it's because he let his hair be cut off. But when you read the story, you see that with Samson, it wasn't that he that last final act where he let his hair be cut off. With Samson, it was because you see he went after women that were uh, not his own wife; they were not. Uh, from his nation and they worshiped false gods. He touched uh, a a dead lion and, and stole honey out of its carcass and was touching the fruit of the vine. And he was breaking his vows that he had made before the Lord, step after step after step. And the Lord was calling him on those things. And yet he hardened his heart to them, did not did not listen to the Lord. And then we see ultimately that judgment on him where the Lord removes the power of the spirit from Samson. And then he's kept in bondage and taken captive to the Philistines. His eyes poked out and everything. And the only redeeming thing is that in his death, he kills a bunch of Canaanites or Philistines uh, with Samson. And that's what we see here with the children of Israel. The Lord is rising up early and speaking, but did not hear I know in my own life, the Lord, he warns us very early on when we're toying with sin. He, he warns us. We thankfully have the Holy Spirit in us if we placed our faith in him. And, and the Holy Spirit gives us conviction and lets us know early on that, that, hey, you shouldn't be touching that thing. You shouldn't be toying with that. You shouldn't be going there or looking at those things. And gives us those early, early warnings in rising up and speaking. And we are called by the Lord to hear, to listen, to pay attention, and to answer Him. And if we don't, then we're in danger of hardening our hearts to the Lord. And to have our conscience seared. And and to quench the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need to be so very careful that we're listening to the conviction of the Lord. We need to take what the Lord says in his word seriously. We need to be in his word, spending time in it and being obedient to it, to not throw out portions of scriptures that we don't like or to kind of gloss it over and pass over it or to ignore it or to spend time in the whole counsel of the word of God and to be obedient to it, to be his disciples, to be soft to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to hear Him. And we have the warnings. That's what we have in the Scriptures. The the, the things that we read in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, they're written for us as examples to us, for us to know how to live, how to walk with Him, and to have the warnings of what happens when we don't. We have all of that. Uh, and and like Romans says of the the man who doesn't even have the word of God, all men are without excuse before the Lord. We need to listen to him. The children of Israel, they did not do that. They rejected the Lord, and they were going to be cast out. And this verse 16 is a hard verse. Um, If you look at it, the Lord tells Jeremiah, says, therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. It's a hard verse. Uh, I believe that the Lord was saying, you can do this all you want, Jeremiah, but the people aren't going to respond. The Lord knew what's in their hearts. Just as Jesus knows what's in the heart of man, as you read in the Gospels, he knows what's in their hearts, and the Lord knows. says, you can pray all you want for this people, but they but they're not going to hear you. And because they won't hear you, I'm not going to hear either because they have hardened their hearts against me is what the Lord says. This was going to be different from Sodom and Gomorrah where the Lord listened and reasoned with Abraham. Remember that? The Lord told Abraham he was going to send fire and hailstones on Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and Abraham interceded and said, Lord, if there's 50 righteous people in that town, are you going to spare them? Yeah, I'll spare them. If there's 10, will you spare them? Yeah, I'll spare them. If there's five? Yeah, if there's five, I'll spare them. And the Lord brought down said, there's not even five, there's just a handful. And that handful was Lot and his family. And the Lord said, I'm going to judge them. So uh, the Lord takes Lot and removes Lot and those who would go with him out of that, Area so that he could judge Sodom and Gomorrah, but Abraham was able to intercede and and pray on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah and his uh, nephew Lot. It's not going to be like in the days of Moses when he would intercede for the children of Israel in the wilderness, when they would uh, complain against the Lord and the Lord would send judgment on the children of Israel then, but Moses would intercede on their behalf. It wasn't going to be like that. It wasn't going to be like the time of Jonah, when the Lord had seen a pagan nation that was doing all of these wicked things, similar to what the children of Israel were doing in Nineveh, Uh, and the Lord sent Jonah to go and preach repentance to them, and the whole city turned in repentance. It wasn't going to be like that time. This time it was going to be an unavoidable judgment because the people were not gonna hard or not gonna soften their hearts to the Lord, but had hard hearts instead. It's not God that was being hard-hearted, but the people were being stiff-necked to him. And that's why this verse is here. And he says, Here's the fruit. Look at verse 17. Do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? Don't you see? It says Verse 18, the children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? He says, here's the fruit. These people, they go into my temple and they say, the temple of the Lord, we're here, we're safe, we're delivered to do these things. And yet, From the youngest to the oldest, the entire family is engaged in worship of false gods, of of deities that that call them to do uh, wicked, abominable things. Kindling fire, kneading dough, making cakes are not evil. Gathering wood is not evil. But doing this to the Queen of Heaven and all the other things that would take place in that type of worship was Abominable before the Lord. They were pouring out drink offerings to other gods. And they were doing it, you know, uh, not to provoke. the. I don't know if they were (laughs) trying to provoke the Lord to the anger. Saying, this isn't going to provoke me to anger. Says, they're going to provoke themselves and shame their own faces. It's not to my own hurt, is what the Lord's saying. It's not hurting me. That they're doing, it's not just this, it's that they're going to shame themselves. That's what they're doing. They were going from the youngest to the oldest. They were calling themselves a people of the Lord. They were going into the temple. They were doing all of these things. And yet, in their homes, they were devoting themselves to false and foreign gods. That should be a lesson to us. Again, we can come in here Sundays, Wednesdays. We can take part in Bible study. We can be praying. We can, we can sing our worship songs. We can, we can say amen when, when we agree with what's said from the pulpit. We can, uh, we can pray with people. We can do all of these other things. But what's our home life like? What does that look like? Are we devoted to the Lord in our own homes? Or are we giving ourselves over to things that are not the Lord? The Queen of Heaven, there are many who have uh, said that this is uh, related to uh, the Roman Catholic worship of Mary. Um, I don't know if that's the case here, but we see whatever the Queen of Heaven is here, uh, if it's Ishtar or start or uh, some of the other translations say that uh, the host of heaven there, either any way you look at it, it's false deity it's demonic there are many times that we open ourselves up in our homes to demonic things we allow our children to look at things and to take part in things that are demonic Uh, there are many video games out there you guys that are demonic that you you let your children play that you you have no idea what's in there tv shows videos online on youtube books that they read things that we take part of and we put our children to bed so they're not scared or they don't, they don't uh, see what we're watching on TV or looking at online? Are we devoted to the Lord in the times when no one else sees in our entire lives? Or are we allowing our outside life from the worship of the Lord to be given over to other things? The Lord looks on and says, you're provoking yourself to the shame of your own face. You guys, there are many things in the modern day church that have been allowed in that should not be there. Yoga should not be in the church. It's Eastern religion. It's yoking yourself to false gods, to Hindu deities. It's not a healthy practice. Then that's all it is. It's worship. It's what it is. Go to India and ask them about yoga. It's worship of the Hindu deities. It should not be in the church. Other things, the Enneagram, a personality test that's popular in the church right now. Read about it. It was channeled to a man, demonically. It it was uh, from mysticism, George Gurdjieff. Look him up. Uh, he, he was into Sufi mysticism, um, taking uh, hallucinogenic drugs, part of the Esalen Institute in San Francisco, which was a, is a hotbed for every uh, depravity that you can think of, sexual aberrations, and, uh, and uh, taking hallucinogenic drugs and, and weird uh, occult rituals that take place and have taken place it comes from there and yet it's being promoted in the church as a means for you to understand how to better serve the lord and to come to that spark of understanding of who god's created you to be it's used in businesses and in schools Uh, it's it's used uh, in ministries popular well-known ministries It's promoted by Christianity Today, the magazine founded by the Billy Graham Association. it's, uh, It's pushed all over the place. We need to be people who are awake and aware to what's going on, to not allow these things into our homes, to not jump onto those fads that are online or in the books or that you hear about from other Christians. We need to say, wait a second, is this found in the Word of God? Is this what the Lord says? what are the roots of this thing? Where does it come from? In the 80s, it was psychology. Psychology. What's the basis of psychology? It's from uh, uh, Carl Jung and, and Sigmund Freud, both of whom talk about demonic experiences, again, channeling from demons. That's the basis of that. And yet, Psychology was brought into the church as a way to better understand people. The problem with psychology, you guys, is psychology deals, tries to deal with the symptoms of sin without actually dealing with sin. It throws all the blame off of the person onto other things like life experiences or something that your parents said or did to you when you were a child or some circumstance of your life that you had no control over rather than say, no, it's sin. Sin is what causes our minds to be broken. It's what causes our lives to be broken and for us to act foolishly or to do these things or to have these other things. It's sin is the root of the problem. But all of these things have entered into the church and you have new age mysticism, contemplative prayer and, and all the things that the emergent church, emergent church brought in to popular culture, things that take place that uh, have the the trappings of outward religion like you see in Bethel, the Bethel churches where they have the these uh, things that take over them uh, that is supposed to be the Holy Spirit, but it's it's uh, Kundalini uh, rituals that again go right back to Hinduism, where they have uh, those things going on, they also have... Things like spirit soaking where they lay on the graves of prominent Christians and religious leaders trying to take the mantle upon themselves. Where they have Christian tarot cards, Christian yoga pants that they sell for merchandise, all of these things. The church is rife with worship of false gods. The modern church is. And we as believers, we need to be like Jeremiah and standing there. We need to resist, we need to not be taking part in those things, but we need to go even beyond that. Many people get upset when people call out things like that, say name name names of people who are false teachers or or touch on the the pet things in the church and say, "Well, that's false. That shouldn't be there." Or that's toying with something that's going to lead you away from the Lord. Many people get upset about all of that. But that's what Jeremiah was called to. That's what we're called to as Christians. We're to save some with patience, with grace, with kindness, but others are save as though f- through fire, snatching them away from the gates of hell. We're, we're to have uh, truth on our lips, truth and love, speaking honestly, to rebuke some, right? We're to have that sort of standing before the people around us. We love them. We have grace upon them. But at the same time, we need to speak the truth. We need to not allow these things going on. Do you have things happening in your home and you're not saying anything about it? maybe you've given up because you're getting pushback. You need to be strong and stand with the Lord. Again, do it with grace, with kindness, with love, but be firm. Be like Joshua. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Right. We as Christians, we need to stand up and not allow these things to take place in our homes, to take place in the church, to take place around us. Have those conversations with men and women at your workplace that, you know, say they're Christians, but they're toying with these other things. Don't do it while you're on the clock so that you get in trouble for it, but talk with them. Speak up. Allow the Lord to be your defense and and, uh, stand upon what the word of God says. Because we will not be ashamed if we're standing on what God's word says. We have no reason for it. But if we back off, then we're no better than those who just kind of let the people just go right past us and don't even care. It's that what they were doing there to the stranger, the fatherless, the widow... They were just letting all of these things take place, these horrible things take place to them and not executing justice between them. They were not standing up and doing what was right. The outcome of that is provoking ourselves to the shame of our faces, and that's what it was happening with Judah. Verse twenty it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place, on man and on beast, on the trees of the field, on the fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. It says, Go ahead, do your sacrifices. It says for I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices it says that's not the point I saved them when they weren't sacrificing to me that's not the point he said but this is what I commanded them saying obey my voice and I will be your god and you shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you that it may be well with you it's that progression to obey the Lord's voice, to hear him, to know him. I love that video we watched last week with the sheep and the shepherd. Seeing that shepherd bleed out the calls to the sheep and the little sheep just falling behind their shepherd. The Lord says that his sheep hear his voice and know him. We need to obey his voice. It says, and I will be your God and you shall be my people. And then if we're hearing his voice, and he's our God and we're his people. Then that natural or supernatural or spiritual outcome of that is that we walk in the ways that we that he's commanded us. Right? If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed in action. If you abide in my word. If you hear me. It says, do these things and it may be well with you. Verse 24. Yet... Again, they did not obey nor incline their ear. So it's not that they just didn't hear uh, obey the Lord to what they heard, but they didn't even turn their ear to try and listen to what he was saying. That's where their hearts were at. It says, but they followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts. They followed all, just what came out of them. The Lord says, the heart is desperately wicked above all things and went backward and not forward. They were given a course, and rather than following him, they turned around and went the other way, following their own hearts. Verse 25, Since that day of, uh, the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffen their neck. They did worse than their fathers. That word stiffen their neck, it's a, it's a uh, husbandry term, husbandry being taking care of livestock. And, and it, it speaks of an animal that won't let you put a yoke on it. And an animal that is meant to pull a plow with a yoke on its neck that won't let the yoke be put on it is good for nothing except for the slaughter. And that's what they were doing. They would not obey him or incline their ear. They stiffened their neck. They weren't willing to listen to the Lord. They did worse than their fathers. Their fathers had all of these other things uh, that took place. And there were prophets that rose up. And there were men and women who repented and listened to the calling of the prophets. But in Jeremiah's day, we never see anyone do that. We don't see them repent. They did worse than their fathers. It says, therefore, you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. Again, the Lord gives Jeremiah a hard task, but Jeremiah nonetheless was called to do it. And that's the same for us. We're called to speak the truth in love. And there are men and women who will not hear, but we're not supposed to be silent about it. Verse 28 It says, so you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. You guys, there's a stark parallel to our culture that we live in nowadays and what was taking place in the time of Jeremiah and Judah. They had rejected the Lord. They had criticized his word. It was relegated to the dustbin. It was ignored, all the calling of the prophets daily rising up early, rejecting and being disobedient to him. And therefore, because of that rejection of the Lord, truth had perished and had been cut off from their mouth. Yes, truth in in our culture and our society has perished and has been cut off from the mouth. We have the word of God, thankfully. But even in the church, there are those who criticize portions of the scriptures and say, it's not for me. Dan talked about it recently, about those who go and say, well, I don't really like what Paul says because it's not really relevant for today. And in fact, he was kind of a womanizer, and he he was homophobic, and he talked about real strict things in marriage and all of these other things that Paul did. And so they want to cast Paul out. Say, I I don't really like that and trust that. The problem with that is when you cast out Paul, you have to cast out Peter because Peter said that what Paul wrote was scripture. When you cast out Peter, you have to throw out the gospels because and the book of Acts, because with the gospels and the book of Acts, they talk about Peter and how the Lord commissioned Peter and the other apostles to feed his sheep. You cast out uh, the uh, gospels, you cast out all the basis for all the rest of the New Testament. You cast out all of the New Testament and you have no point to the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, it all points forward to Jesus, So you cast out one portion of the scripture, you're casting out all of it. You can't do that. And yet, because that took place in the times of higher criticism, when they were saying, well, no, that's not really inspired scripture. It's inspiring, but it's not inspired. Rather than saying every scripture is God-breathed, inspired, and useful. All of it, that the Lord put these words that we have in the hearts of men, to write these things down and gave them to us to believe and to know that it's the very word of God, inspired and inerrant. To rather than do that, to cast it aside, and we see that in our cultures, cast aside back then, and you see then all of the things that the scriptures bring—the truth, the beauty, the perspective on creation—and. Uh, and both the good side and the bad side, the good side of creation pointing to the Lord, the God of the universe, creating and being a kind and loving God. You cast that out, and now God does not exist any longer. And on the other side, casting out the book of Genesis and the things that taught, that uh, are spoken of and taught there of sin and the fall of man and the entering in of those things. You cast that out and you have no explanation for pain and wickedness and sorrow and all of these other things that we see around us and sin and death. You have no explanation for it. And, and, and you see that same progression. Read Romans chapter one and chapter two. Paul lines it out beautifully there, that same progression that you see, exchanging the truth of God for a lie, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And because of that, God gives us over to a debased mind. And that debased mind then causes us to do these things that are not fitting and allowing these things to come in. That's this culture and society we live in. And... The blame really falls on these men and women who called themselves Christians, who criticized the scriptures, cast it out. And we see that. We, as as believers here and now, again, we need to take so seriously the word of the Lord. And if we don't, then eventually we're going to get to that point where we see truth has perished. It's been cut off from their mouth. In the Septuagint, which is the... Uh, Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, it says faith has come to an end from their mouth. And it means not just the truth, but the conviction of the truth has ceased. It says that, and that's it. It's not just that truth has perished, that it's no longer there, but there's not even conviction of truth. It's gone, it's been cut out. Verse 29 The Lord tells Jeremiah, cut off your hair and cast it away. It's a sign of mourning. Take up a lamentation on the desolate heights, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the children of wrath. And here's the fruit of all of these things that they're doing. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight. They have set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name. Not only are they doing their wicked things outside of the temple, but they're bringing their false gods and false worship into the temple. And again, all those things that I was talking about before, we see it taking place in the church now, being brought in. They have set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to pollute it. And not only that, they've built the high places of Tophet, which means a hearth or a place of burning an oven or a fire, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire. Is as which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. He, God's saying, it's nothing to do with me that they're doing these things. And yet they were doing it. See, the children of Israel were commanded specifically not to allow their, their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. Not to do these things. And yet they had allowed this. And in fact, they not only just allowed it to take place around them, they built the very places where it would take place. You guys, if you, if you read about Carthage, uh, which was an ancient civilization and city, this is what they were known for, was sacrificing their children. Ex- archaeological el- excavations there have uncovered over 20,000 clay urns, smashed, broken up, buried with different uh, uh, in different states of condition, Uh, bodies of infants that have been burned or sawn into or smashed, torn in pieces. Over 20,000 of them, they treated it like a garbage dump. They would do their sacrifices in the same way that the children of Israel would do here in this place until it got so full they would plow over the pile of smashed clay urns and bring in more dirt to cover it up to give more room for them. To do it, just like we see a garbage dumps when the garbage gets piled up and they push it over to make room for more. And that's what was taking place. You guys, we have this taking place in our culture. When you walk away from the scriptures and the sanctity that the Lord places on human life, because every person from the very moment of conception... The Lord formed them in in their mother's womb, the Bible says, has been made in his image. And every being, every human being is sacred to the Lord. And when you take that away from the scriptures, then they're just a parasite, something to be dealt with, an inconvenience. And that's what we see in our culture and our society with abortion. And sadly, even in the church, there are those who support these things. And yet the Lord, he says, there's judgment on those who do these things. Verse 32, therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no more be called Tophet or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. says, you do this to your children, you slaughter them there. You, you plow over this pile of clay jars and urns and that are full with the refuse of, of the bodies of your children and the corpses of your infants to make room for more, says, but it's not going to be called that anymore. It's going to be called the Valley of Slaughter for they'll bur- bury and toff it until there is no more room. It's going to have your corpses there. The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. Then I will cause to cease from the cities of Judah, from the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride for the land shall be desolate. See, they were going about all their sexual rituals and trying to enjoy all the things that were meant for marriage. And, then, and and do that in the worship of these false gods and then cast off the fruit of these doings, the, the infants that were being born and conceived in these situations and slaughtering them uh, to these false gods. And the Lord says, you're going to be slaughtered. And even these things that, that you love to have, the, the voice of mirth and gladness, bridegroom and the bride, it's going to be gone and cut off. At that time, says the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of its princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. They shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven, which they have loved and which they have served and after which they have walked, which they have sought and which they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. Then death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of those who remain of this evil family, who remain in all the places where I have driven them, says the Lord of hosts. This is judgment, you guys, and it was judgment on the people of Israel. And the Lord gave them time to repent. He gave them time to repent, and yet they would not repent. And the judgment was coming. You guys, this is a picture of what we see in the end times, judgment on the world. If you read the book of Revelation, you look, the Lord sends these judgments to come. But at the same time, he's got the two witnesses and the 144,000 that are preaching the gospel, the angel flying in heaven. And He there's time even between all these judgments that the Lord sends down on the earth in order for people to have a chance to repent. And yet, what do you read in Revelation? They don't repent. They don't repent. They don't repent. They don't turn away. You guys, that's the kind of judgment that's coming on the earth. Now, for us, of course, the, the application is we need to repent. That's the first thing for us. We need to be right with the Lord if we don't have our faith in him. If we've never placed our faith in him or trusted in him for salvation, uh, that's what we need to do first and foremost. And then after that, we need to go seek out our loved ones. We need to seek out the people around us and share the gospel with them. Because judgment is coming. We don't have time to go into it because our, our time's up here, but I'd encourage you, if you haven't yet, read the rest of chapter 8. Because not only were the people just not listening to the Lord, there were false teachers, false prophets that had come in, and they were trusting in those lying words. Verse 11 says, They've healed the hurt of my daughter, of the daughter of my people, slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. These false teachers were rising up and said, We're good. It's all right. We have the temple. We're the Lord's people. We have his word. We have all of these things. We're not going to be touched. And they were saying peace. Be have peace. Don't worry about it. It's okay. But it's like putting a band-aid on a broken leg. That's all that they were doing. And judgment was coming. We need to we need to be people that are willing to stand up like Jeremiah and to speak the truth. You guys, the end times that we're living in now the Bible talks a lot about deception that's coming Second Timothy 4 talks about how that people will no longer endure sound doctrine speaking of the church that they will listen to doctrines of demons in 1 Timothy 2 Peter talks about false prophets that will come right all of these things are coming are here already And we need to be willing to stand upon what the word of God says to take everything that we hear and test it according to the word of God. Isaiah says to the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, there is no light in them. That's what we stand upon. It's the word of God. And we need to test all of those things and we need to speak the word of God in truth and in love. And, and we need to be the light that God has called us to. And, and it starts in our hearts and listening to him, being obedient to him. and moves out to our homes to serve the Lord in our homes and to allow the Lord to work in all the different areas of our lives so that we're being uh, light and salt that has not lost its savor, that's not fit only to be cast out but salt that has that preserving influence on uh, the food that it's put in the meat and all those things like it was used in those times. And that's what we're called to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, thank you for your word. Lord, I know this is a heavy thing. It was heavy for Jeremiah. Lord, our modern church has gotten so used to light things, And it's not easy to listen to heavy, heavy things. And yet we need to hear it, Lord. I pray that we would not be a people that shy away from the truth of your word because it's difficult to hear. Lord, that we would not shy away from the conviction of the spirit in our hearts and our lives. Because the things that we're called to are difficult or will cause us discomfort. But that we would be obedient to you to hear you, that we wouldn't harden our hearts, that we wouldn't silence the voice of conviction. Lord, that we would be like Jeremiah, to stand up and speak the truth, Lord, in love and with boldness, and that we would take to heart what your word has to say. We thank you so much, and we ask this all in your name. Amen.